0: Some people, at the end of the day of listening to people, and many times it's handling complaints, complain, 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 they're wiped out at the end of the day. They'll go home, they'll kick their dog, they'll yell at their kids, you know, (laughs) but there's other people that thrive on this challenge. Welcome
1: to the Conversations That Matter podcast from Uniform, the podcast that dives into real conversations that are happening in contact centers around the world.
0: Here you'll experience exciting interviews with well-known thought leaders, hear compelling stories from industry experts, gain fresh insights on contact center best practices, and more. So grab a beverage and tune in as we get real with Conversations That Matter.
1: Welcome everyone to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, Randy Kasar, and I am delighted to welcome Shep Hyken to the podcast today. Shep, welcome.
0: Hey, thanks for having me here. Excited to... Uh... Being in a conversation that matters.
1: It is. The reason why we picked that is that I think that that we want to make sure that these are valuable conversations for the contact center operation leaders that are out there and that they find, uh, you know, there's so many different things are going on in their world. And we want to make sure that this time that they spend listening to this or watching it uh, is something that's valuable to them. So, you know, we wanted to, to start off, instead of reading off your bio, we want to, do some rapid fire to kind of get to know you on a a more personal level, as they say. Okay. So the first question that we have is, what was your first job?
0: First job, I was uh, eight or nine years old, worked for my grandpa at his pharmacy, and I did everything from inventory, the greeting cards, to paint the shelves, to count pill bottles, and and much more. It was my summer job, and I loved working with my grandpa.
1: That's awesome. What a great memory. And then we know that you... Usually are on the speaking circuit, uh, speaking to uh, around customer experience, customer service, uh, lots of different uh, topics around around that subtopics around that. Tell me about the first time that you spoke in front of a large audience, because I know for me sometimes that can be a little daunting for yeah. others that are listening. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes they say that's the um, worst fear that people have, even more than spiders or, or snakes, or going to the dentist, or going to the dentist exactly, <laughs>
0: totally. <laughs> Yeah, I can all the way go I can go back to, you know, in high school and actually in, in like seventh grade or sixth grade, I, I did magic shows. So I was in front of an audience. I, I did public speaking courses. But the first paid gigs besides magic shows, <laughs> I would say is 1983 where I, I still had hair. I booked my first speaking engagements. And so the first client to ever sign a contract with me was Anheuser-Busch. The second okay. client was Enterprise Rent-A-Car, which proves that drinking and driving can mix at a certain level. But, a little, yeah. but seriously, the <laughs> Enterprise engagement came just before the Anheuser-Busch engagement, although the contract with Anheuser-Busch was signed first. So we always argue who's the first client. But both of those were really, they were my first audiences that paid me to speak in front of you know their people. So- and it just got better from there, I guess. It got
1: better from there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you always hear of like comedians and, and how they kind of go through 30 or 40 different times where they bombed.
0: Sometimes years. Uh, years, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I had an advantage. Uh, I'm sure that when I was younger and was doing my magic shows, I had shows that didn't do as well as they could have. And, Right. Age 12, I started a birthday party business. Age 14, worked in my first nightclub. Age 16, I was doing comedy magic at the Playboy Club, which was like the best job in the whole freaking world. <laughs> and then uh, I worked in nightclubs through college. And, you know, I also started to do some corporate events. So I was pretty comfortable getting in front of an audience. I learned, and I know I'm getting way off the track, but this is, to me, this is important. Yeah. Uh, and I know when we were talking before, you mentioned you were in Toastmasters. Yeah, I learned the very quickly, the and, and I've actually added a third piece to it, that there's two things that had to happen. I had to be prepared or else I was going to, if I didn't bomb, I would have felt I bombed because there. Were, it's not that I ever walked on the stage unprepared, but I know uh, I've walked onto a stage where I didn't quite understand my audience as well as I, it's not even that I could have. I, don't, I just don't think the client and I were connecting at a level that made me feel comfortable. So I've learned- I'm never going to ever do that again. So I need to know my audience. I need to know my content. That's all on me. Of course, I practiced and practiced. And number three, I added, as I learned, if I stay up late, I'm not going to be great the next day. So I need to know myself. I need to know to get into bed by 10. That's an in bed by 10 standard rule, every engagement. You know, and if I can make that happen, occasionally an airplane delay will yeah. cause that to go out of whack. But
1: yeah, you might need to do a red eye or something and get there at seven in the morning.
0: Right, right. But but and, and usually that's not my fault, but that doesn't mean I still can't. OK, I need to sleep right now on the plane. But the point is, know your content, know your audience and know yourself. And that makes a, a more successful and comfort speech, because if I walk on with those three things accomplished, I'm not going to bomb. I'm going to at least know that I've done my best effort to make this work. And uh, as a professional speaker, my clients will often tell me, oh, we're going to have so-and-so do the speech. Oh, who's that? He's one of our customers. I said, so let me tell you about using a customer, okay? Which, by the way, use the customer. That's fine. The customer is not a professional speaker. A true professional speaker doesn't always hit a home run, but always, in baseball terms, will get on base. That's what we do. That's why we're pros. Other people who aren't. You're taking a chance. It's not that they won't do a great job or they won't have great content, but they may be off. That they, they, you know, we do things differently as pros. It's that simple, you know.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, next question: uh, Last customer complaint that turned into a good customer experience for me? Yes, for you.
0: Oh wow! I'll tell you what happened. Uh, right at the beginning of uh, COVID nineteen pandemic, stay at home. I called my home cable provider. And I was disappointed with how slow things were. I was just frustrated. This person on the phone not only looked at my speed and realized what was wrong, so we fixed that, but then she also looked at my account and said, you know, I think we can save you money if you'd like me to take a closer look at this. She saved me like, I mean, $35, $40 a month. Multiply that times 12. So that yeah. hour I spent on the phone was worth almost $500. That's that's not a bad wage, $500 an hour. You yeah. can do that for the most of your life.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you, you can't beat that when someone is kind of proactive, right? Yep. I mean, I
0: love it. I love it. I won't tell you the name, but their initials were AT&T.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Uh, all right. And uh, we asked this to a lot of our guests. Uh, if you had one celebrity voice that powered your contact center, who would it be?
0: Oh, wow. You're gonna laugh. I, there's so many. How about Arnold Schwarzenegger?
1: That would be awesome.
0: Because at the end, when the customer, when the customer says, "I'll be back,"
1: <laughs>
0: that's what we're looking for.
1: If, yeah, get to the chopper now. <laughs> that would be awesome. All right. Well, now that we know kind of who you are, professional speaker, New York Times best author, and. I think what we're going to learn today from some of your answers is the some best practices around customer experience, around customer service. And we'll talk about AI and automation, how those kind of go together uh, and help businesses. So let's uh, kind of get to the questions. So just to kind of set the stage, you know, and I think depending on the business and industry, I think customer experience is perhaps a different definition. So I'm kind of curious from your take, what is customer experience and why is it so important?
0: Sure. So experience is everything the customer Experiences with you and your product. So I I use that word experience in the definition to describe the definition. But here's what it is. People think, well, what's the difference between service and experience? Customer service, it's it. By the way, I don't believe service or experience is a department. It's a philosophy. It's cultural. It's part of what the company wants to achieve. So service is every interaction point the customer has typically with people, although there's some automated processes and AI that could be involved in a chat bot or whatever, but it's mostly the interaction the customer has with the company that is getting them part of the sale, part of the follow-up, maybe even part of the support service. Okay, Mm -hmm. Experience is everything that includes. It could be initially when I go on your website, what's my feeling? Is it intuitive? Uh, When I order something and the box shows up and I open up the box. Now there's a big difference between opening up a brown cardboard box <laughs> and a box that's sent to you by Apple. Okay. I mean, just the experience of opening your iPad or iPhone box the first time. It's like, wow, this is incredible. Yeah, I just totally. received, and I know uh, I see the keyboard in your background. Last week, I, I got a keyboard, a new keyboard. Uh, it's a nice, beautiful rolling keyboard. It comes in a big brown box and it says, please do not open on this end. I thought that was pretty. <laughs> it's, it said, please. Okay. Please. And I flipped I'll it play. over because I was getting ready to open it on that. And I opened it up right. and let me tell you what I saw. I saw my black, big black keyboard with the white keys, you know, yeah. sharps and flats and all that. And it was wrapped in, in clear plastic with two pieces of styrofoam. If Apple were sending me that, I would have opened it up. There would have been a ribbon that I would have pulled out that would have pulled off the top part. It would have been beautifully packaged. (laughs) By the way, an expensive iPad costs the same, or an expensive iPhone costs the same as this. Well, actually, it was less than the expensive keyboard that I got. So why not give me the same experience? And by the way, it's like that experience was just okay versus one that's better than okay. And just okay is sometimes good enough. But in my world, I believe that just okay is mediocre. Mediocrity is average, satisfactory, just okay. A little tiny bit better than that, just a little bit better is the moment of magic. And if we can create these consistent, predictable little moments of magic. So maybe the word please made me smile. So maybe that's what (laughs) took it to the next level for me. But think about the difference between the the Apple experience and the average experience. And maybe there's somewhere in between. Or maybe if, if average is at, it, on a scale of one to five, if average is three, and and that's average packaging, and then you've got packaging of an Apple iPhone or something like that. If yeah. all you do is do a three point five or something, you know, you're you're above average.
1: You know, so <laughs> I used to work at at Yahoo way back in the day, and we always used to focus on how we would surprise and delight the customers.
0: That's hard to do.
1: It is. it is. Every very time
0: hard to do it's it. hard to do, and they make you feel like you got to do it every time, don't they? So this is the first <laughs> lesson pressure. for all of our <laughs> contact center managers, supervisors, executives, leaders, etc., that are paying yeah. attention to our show today. Um, if you expect everybody to surprise and delight, probably uh, not going to happen. You're going to be very disappointed. But if you expect everybody to do a tiny bit better than average, and let's define what that is, scale of one to five three is average. I mentioned whatever. How about 10% better than average? 3.3. That's pretty reasonable. If you are consistently a 3.3 and you deliver at that level and you don't drop to a three, you're just a tiny bit better than that. Your customers often will give you a five on a scale of one to five, because this is what they say. They're always so knowledgeable. They're always so friendly. They always respond quickly. The word always followed by something positive. And I've been talking about being better than average just a little bit consistently and predictably for years. Last year, I talked to Horst Schultz, who's the co-founder and first president of the Ritz-Carlton organization. Love that brand. And he said the same thing. I just want my people to be a little better than average all of the time. That's what's going to make us an amazing, iconic, memorable brand. And I said, how much better than average? And he said exactly what I've been preaching. And it was like, wow, a validation (laughs) from one of my I guess customer service icons, if you will. Yeah, and, and, sure. uh, he said, just be 10% better than average. Wow. So I said, so a 3.3 on a scale of one to five. He says, yeah, yeah. But if you think about it, so when I answer that call, if I'm talking and engaging with a customer and the first thing out of my mouth is, hello, what's your account number? That's at best average. But I say, hello, my name's Shep and your name is say Randy.
1: Randy, yeah, sure. I mean that yeah. changes. Yeah, change. sorry. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I was just well, sure if you. <laughs> well, hi, Randy. Is it okay if I call you Randy?
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Great. Hey, I need to get your account number before I get started. Do you have that handy? I, I do. Yes. Great. Great. See, do you see the difference? It takes yeah. now. It takes an extra six or seven seconds to do that, but it sets the tone on a much better, friendlier basis.
1: Yeah, totally different tone. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah.
0: Now, this is what I love people call with one of two issues they don't call customer service to say everything's working great do they they're calling the customer support or they're chatting because they either need information they have a question or they have a complaint okay so the complaint means they come at you and that's now that's a whole another type of conversation we can have but we've now started the right tone for any one of these three If it's something other than a question or getting information, which we're happy to help them with and the way we do it, it's pleasant. And they'll get off the phone and go, wow, that was a really nice experience. Okay. But if there's a problem, the goal is to move this to the next level. And oftentimes you can tell this person's not happy. So I always like to let them vent for a moment. And then I'll say, you know what? I can tell by the tone of your voice that you're not happy right now, that you've got a problem. So here's what I want to do. Number one, The reason you called here today is that you hope that someone like me can help you out. Is that right? Well, of course, right? They're going to say, yes, I've now got an agreement out of them. Psychologically, that's a really important piece of it. And the next part is, I'm here to help you. You know, That's right. I'm here to help you. So you've confirmed they're right. And now you say, so let's start over from the beginning. I want to make sure I completely understand. I may take some notes. I may stop you and ask something to clarify. Would that be okay? Yes. I now got another confirmation that we're in sync. And now we move on. So anyway, I know I'm digressing off of what your question was, but hopefully this is helpful for the people who are listening.
1: No, it's super helpful. And it talks about kind of the internal mantra of a company, talks about you know the culture, the people. I think that's really important. And he also talked about kind of how how the the tone of the conversation can change, right? Yep. So uh, one of my coworkers, Annie, was, was asking, I asked some coworkers, you know, do you have any questions for Shep? And so she wrote in and she said, you know, we've written many books and most recently wrote The Cult of the, of the Customer. Your, so your message was really powerful in that and, of course, timely. So the, the one thing that she mentioned was the happier customers and employees are, the more successful a company will be. Right. And we talked a little bit about that uh, in terms of the tone.
0: Yeah, and it's not just happy customers. It's happy employees. Too. Happy employees, yes. Right, that's real important because what happens on the inside of an organization is felt on the outside. And by the way, different support centers are going to have different metrics. Average call handle time may be really, really important to them. One call resolution may be really, really important to them. Their NPS score may be important. So, you know, agents may be given a little bit more leeway to manage the experience differently than somebody that's looking at just average call time. Getting a question, understanding what question the customer hasn't asked that they should have asked, but you say you ask for them is also an important piece. Because you know what that eliminates? It eliminates the next call. So I dealt with a client that was actually uh, prepping his company for sale. So the last thing that they wanted was any extra time spent on the call. And he said to me, if you're going to talk to me about how we got to spend more time with the customer on the phone, you are not the guy for me. I said, look, people want to do business with people they know, like, and trust, right? That's old. That's been around for years. So here's what I want you to think about. I want your customers to know That when they call somebody, they're going to get somebody who's knowledgeable. Number two, they're going to like the answer because it's the right answer. For no other reason, it's the right answer. The trust comes when they know that happens every time. So here's the point. They're going to call back again and again if you don't get proactive and answer questions that they're going to ask next time two weeks from now and call back. Yeah, but recognizing that, if that's the way you want to do it, I'll push that message. But I am going to push all of the peripheries that go around delivering that
1: type of concept. Yeah, no, that's true. And now for a short break, let's learn more about Unifor. Unifor is the global leader in conversational service automation. The company's vision is to disrupt an outdated customer service model by bridging the gap between human and machine using voice, AI, and automation so that every voice on every call is truly heard. For more information about Unifor... Go to www.unifor.com, email podcast at unifor.com, or tweet at Unifor. Now, back to the podcast. So when we talk about uh, agents uh, within the call center, uh, I think especially now that a lot of them are, are working at home, uh, is there a particular skill set that you think uh, will be helpful for them now and, and, of course, for the future?
0: Well, I think that when uh, when you're hired to be a professional support person and you're an agent, if you are a customer support rep, whatever you want to call call yourself, Yeah, there's a certain personality. Some people at the end of the day of listening to people, and many times it's handling complaints, complain, complain, complain. They're wiped out at the end of the day. They'll go home. They'll kick their dog. They'll yell at their kids, you know, <laughs> but there's other people that thrive on this challenge I'm going to not only uh, solve this customer's problem. I'm going to turn around their attitude. I love it. This makes me happy. I could do this for the rest of my life, every single day. That's the person you want to hire. That's the person. And by the way, there are plenty of those people out there. For example, if you put me in a file cabinet room and said, "Here, file these," within about an hour, don't walk in. You know, I might explode. <laughs> you know, who knows what's <laughs> going to happen? But, but the point is. Some people absolutely love that. So you've got to hire the right people for the right job. And I think that's really important. And recognizing that you know, when you have somebody working at home, there's a couple of three things different that if they haven't worked at home before, some people, this is what they want to do and they're really good at it and they're disciplined to do it. And the company's set up to provide them the right tools so that they can help them be successful. But somebody that's moved. So for example, I was talking with a client and one of the people that were in this group of customers that they had have 60,000 agents and 62 call centers across the world. COVID-19 hits. They've got to shut down every one of them and move all 60,000 people. Actually, it was probably closer to 55,000. They had about maybe 5 to 10% that were already working from home. Now it's 100%. And when this was all over, they said, you know what? We're going to keep most people working at home. We're going to shut down a good percentage of our support centers. We realize that we can do without. But we talked about what's the danger? What's the problem? Well, people who are used to working in a collegiality type of environment, mm-hmm. if, such, if that's the right phrase, <laughs> they like being able to look over at the you know cubicle right. next to them and ask a question and ask somebody. And then they like the manager coming over and helping when help is needed and patting them on the back. Yeah, you you hear that
1: in the background. Yeah, you hear that in the background when you call a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the point is, is that the employee, the agent likes that interaction. Now they're isolated in their home, probably in a second bedroom, third bedroom, at their dining room table, wherever, okay? Wherever it is, yep. And now they've got no friends on either side of them. They've got no manager. The key is, I think, and this is what's really cool, is, and I'm not sure what the right number is, When we went virtual during this time, we went three meetings a day, morning, lunch, afternoon. We wanted to stay connected. I actually believe that, and and some support centers say, well, let's do it with two meetings a day. So whether it's two or three, I think the goal is what's the right balance to get your people to feel connected, feel like they're part of the team still, feel like, because otherwise the danger is, and I just wrote about this, I don't know if it's been released yet. The commoditization of the job. So remember, companies can sell a product that customers can buy that product from maybe a hundred different places, five places, doesn't matter. It's a commodity. When your job that you give somebody becomes a commodity, you risk losing really good people to other businesses simply because, you know, I don't have any connection with any of my employees or any of my colleagues. Yeah, they offer me a job for a little bit more money. Why not? Okay. We want to keep the best people. And the way to do that is to make them feel connected and engaged to the company. So there's some danger in going into the isolated remote situation without managing the employee's experience well.
1: Yeah, that's very true. Uh, You you definitely need... We do this at at Unifor in terms of... Even this morning, we had a a company, all hands. We have people in in India, Singapore, Japan, U.S., all remote, right? So 200-plus offices, essentially. (laughs) And the co-founder, Ravi, is like, you should go and, and talk to two or three people that you really haven't talked to before and just call them. Not talk about work, but just call them and say, how's it going? How's life? Maybe talk about a passion that you have. And I think that says so much about the company culture and, and about just kind of being part of, the, of, a, of a team, of being part of something bigger, right?
0: Imagine if every week you were told you had to meet somebody you hadn't met before in your company. And you are randomly assigned this person. You don't know who they are, what they do for the company. Yeah. Maybe, you know, there might be some commonality that you choose, you know, to align people. But someone on the other side of the world, wouldn't it be cool for you to say, for your company to say, hey, everybody gets 10 minutes to meet somebody new every week. And at the end of the year, you'll have met 50 new people. And I'll bet some of those people you stayed with. I actually think that's a great idea for an article. I'm going to write that down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there you go. Go for it. No, but seriously, I mean, I think that says a lot about kind of humanity and about the relationships that you're trying to build, especially within a company. I mean, a lot of times we talk about customer experience on the on the outside, customers calling in or however they interact. But I think the employees are, are the ones that sometimes are suffering in terms of the opportunities that they used to have. Um, they just need a, a different way of doing it, right?
0: Right. And depending upon uh, the organization, too, people said... Uh, recently, things slowed down dramatically. For support centers, sometimes things went up dramatically with the, the need and the help. But if there was any downtime at all, what a great time to just create a random list of customers to hand to an agent and say, would you just call and say, thank you? Let them know that we're thinking about them. I mean, and imagine, I don't. I mean, it's impossible to hit every customer. But if you're a smaller company that has a small customer base of a few thousand customers, It's not difficult to, over a period of time, reach out to virtually every one of them at some point.
1: Yeah, do a call blitz of some sort, totally. Awesome. I love these ideas. Uh, These will, not just ideas, this is reality.
0: (laughs) Just keep queuing up the right questions to, you know, we'll go off on little (laughs) tangents and maybe we never know what's going to happen.
1: No, this is great. It's a good conversation. So uh, the next one, um, that question I was thinking about is, uh, as you know, Customers have a wealth of information and data in front of them. They are sometimes smarter than the brand that they're calling into or that they're interacting with. At least they think they are. They, they think they are. <laughs> I, I mean, I do this uh, to a bike shop, to, say, Peloton, uh, whoever <laughs> whoever it is, to Amazon. So they expect more, right? And and I think they also, at least this is how I feel, that we're comparing the services that they receive Based upon an amazing experience that we had at another company, like it should be the same. This other company did this. Why can't you do that?
0: That's what happens too. That's why the bar is set high today. Customers yeah. are smarter than before. They know what good service is. They they know what they can get from other companies, and when they don't get it from this company, they get disappointed. I I call that the
1: experience gap. Yeah, no, that's a great that's a great term. So the question that I, that I have, I mean, related to that, is how can data and AI help the customer service experience? And meet those expectations. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to part one of the Shep Haikin interview. Stay tuned to part two in our next episode of Conversations That Matter, a podcast from Unifor.
0: You have been listening to the Conversations That Matter podcast by Unifor. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast player and rate and review to enable us to create relevant and valuable content for your business. If you'd like to learn more about conversational service automation, visit unifor.com.
1: Have a great day.